This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code LEFT. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from This Week in Blackness, BBC Three Counties Radio, The Young Turks, The David Pakman Show, Dan Savage, and TEDx. Alabama has become the 37th state to allow same-sex marriage. I mean, which is rather remarkable if you think about where we were just five years ago in terms of same-sex marriage. I mean, now it's pretty much it's pretty much a done deal. Um, if, just to give you a little history, a little refresher. So there was a case two years ago, the Supreme Court case that came down in June of 2013, that said that the Defense of, Defense of Marriage Act is unconstitutional, and that as a constitutional matter, you can't define um, uh, marriage as between between being be, being between sorry one man and one woman. Um, right around the same time, the Hollingsworth v. Perry case said that California's ban was unconstitutional. That was the Proposition 8 case that was, you know, in the news and in the court system for three or four years. So since then, 30, there's been like 37 different states that have overturned gay marriage bans. They've said that it's unconstitutional for um, a state to define marriage as, be, as being between one man and one woman, one woman. And everything was going fine. A lot of these states had these bans. The courts were overturning them, and these states were going to the Supreme Court and asking for help. And the Supreme Court was saying, sorry, suck it up. We're not going to help. Because apparently, I mean, it's pretty obvious to me that the Supreme Court also believes that same-sex marriage is, same-sex marriage bans are unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Well, we were mosing right along, happy as, happy as can be, um, until November, when the Sixth Circuit actually upheld the same-sex marriage ban for a group of states. It was uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, Michigan, and Ohio. So this situation created what is called a circuit split. Um, and if you listen to the show regularly, you've probably heard me talk about circuit splits before, but I will tell you what they are. And essentially, the country is divided into 12 circuits plus the D.C. circuit. So that's basically 13 different regions of the United States where appellate courts oversee the law in those particular states. And so because the Supreme Court likes to have uniform law across the country, if there's ever a situation where one circuit for one group of states says X is constitutional and another circuit for another group of states says X is unconstitutional, the Supreme Court needs to step in and resolve the issue of whether or not X is constitutional. So in November, the Sixth Circuit upheld a same-sex marriage ban, thus creating a circuit split between the Sixth Circuit and all of the other circuits that have said same-sex marriage bans are unconstitutional. So the Supreme Court has to step in. And it's pretty its pretty clear to me and to constitutional experts far more intelligent than me that the Supreme Court is going to rule that same-sex marriage bans are unconstitutional. So Judge Roy Moore was not happy when the federal court that oversees whatever, that oversees Alabama along with other districts, when that federal court said that the Alabama same-sex marriage ban was unconstitutional. He wasn't having it. So what he did is he said that the probate judges, who are the people that are responsible for issuing marriage licenses, he said that they were, he ordered them not to obey the federal court order. (laughs) Which you can't do. Like, if you are ordered to do something by a federal court as a state judge, you have to do it. That's just the way the court system works. And incidentally... Well, this is not the first time that Judge Moore or Chief Justice Moore has defied a court order. He was actually removed from the bench 
several years ago because he refused to obey an order, a federal order, requiring him to remove the Ten Commandments from the courthouse because separation of church and state. You can't have the Ten Commandments tablet sitting in the courthouse. He refused to do it. He was kicked off the bench. He ran again. Somehow got it. Got uh, I, I think the, the Supreme Court. I guess they're elected officials. At any rate, he's now on the bench again and again trying to defy a federal court order. So what we have now is a situation where there are some probate judges in Alabama that are refusing to issue these marriage licenses, which is a violation of law, and they could be sued for that. There are others that are happily going along with it, and actually the first married couple in Alabama was a really, really cute black lesbian couple who sat overnight outside the probate judge's office so that they could Mm. be the first to be married. Um, And then you have other probate judges that are refusing to issue marriage licenses to anyone, (laughs) hetero or homo. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, fuck it, we're not doing it because they're just, they're really, they really, really, really don't like same-sex marriage. That's, um, all right, that's um, a good, I guess that's a good hard stand to take, I guess, whatever. Jackasses, extreme jackasses. Extreme jackasses. So, um, so Alabama... While Roy Moore was telling everyone, don't issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples, Alabama, the Alabama attorney general, his name is Luther Strange, appealed the federal court's ruling requiring them to issue these marriage licenses, appealed it to the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, the, the, the Alabama attorney general wanted a stay of the order, which means... It basically means that the order won't take effect until the appeals are heard. Yeah, I mean that's and that's pretty standard. When you have a case and a court rules something, sometimes courts like to just preserve the status quo until the case can make its way up through the appeals. Well, the Supreme Court refused the stay, which is kind of unusual because usually the Supreme Court would approve the stay. And so, of course, Justices Scalia and Thomas dissented from the from the Supreme Court's refusal to stay the Alabama order. And their reasoning was that they're a little bit pissed off because the fact that the court refused the stay is essentially signaling that they're going to strike down all state bans as unconstitutional. And they think that's a little bit, that's a little bit ridiculous. It's a little bit preemptive because they're not, they're not even going to hear the oral arguments for these cases until April and there won't be a decision until June. So they're complaining that the decision that the Supreme Court made not to stay this Alabama ruling essentially preordains what the court's decision is going to be. And in fact, it really does. Because if you look at the law, if you look at sort of the the wave of same-sex marriage that has swept over the nation over the past five years, it's pretty apparent that the Supreme Court is not going to say, yes, it's okay for states to rule that same-sex marriage is is unconstitutional. Yes. Pretty, I mean, it's pretty clear that that's what's going to happen. So Scalia and Thomas are just essentially being babies about it. Huh. And of course, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that the ruling is going to come down. It's probably going to be seven to two. There's a little bit, uh, people are a little bit unsure as to whether Alito and Roberts, they're the other two conservative members of the court, are going to um, rule uh, against same-sex marriage. But it's it's for sure that Scalia and Thomas will, because it's Scalia and Thomas and that's what they do. But in any event... We can expect all of these bans to be ruled unconstitutional in the upcoming months, and then gay people can just get married or not, get divorced, and whatever, just like do, just like everybody else. Just just form a legal contract that commit that connects you to another person for your financial and physical future. That's it. It's, I don't I don't I don't even understand where the argument comes in. I I look I I sometimes I look at gay couples in New York, and I try to summon 
the inner the the the, the energy to have any issue with what they're doing. <laughs> I try so hard because I don't get it. I read paragraphs of this stuff, and it talks about God and decency, and sometimes it just talks about you know people just use a thousand words and say they think it's icky, whatever. Right, right. But where I don't even understand where the energy, where do people get this energy to have this opinion about something that matters little after you turn fourteen, and mean just literally should have no effect on you visually. No, After you turn fourteen, I don't get it. I really don't get it because you're not you're not gay and you don't find it sexually arousing. That's fine. You shouldn't find everything in the world sexually arousing anyway. You're, it, it, what difference does it make? I don't get. It. I don't understand. I've heard a million complaints. None of them make any sense, and it's just grown people acting acting like babies. And I just it just fascinates me. I don't I don't know where this comes from. I guess it must be the real power of the human spirit to always have something to complain about. I got the blues from the baby left me by the San Francisco Bay. Said I got the blues from the baby left me by the San Francisco Bay, Cisco Bay, and there was nothing I could do or say. Oh, just hang my head, slowly walk away. Hello, Ian Lee, Justin Daly. On Wednesday's show, we spoke to a young gentleman who'd suffered homophobic abuse uh, on the train. He got off the train and a woman started shouting at him. And it was, it was a horrible story. But uh, he also let me know that quite often when he's walking down the street holding his boyfriend's hand, he gets funny looks, he gets abuse, he gets things shouted at him. And I was really shocked by that. So, for one day only... Please meet my boyfriend. Hi. We're going to take a walk through Luton, holding hands, see if anything happens. We've kind of walked about, what, three or four minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we, we've had looks. We've definitely had looks, haven't we? We've had yeah. looks, and I saw uh, a dad usher a child away from us. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, there was a dad walking with his kid, and he kind of made, he clocked the hands, clocked us, and, come on, love, come with me. Really? I didn't yeah. see that. And there was another person just Maybe up there. Um, but they also said, well, look, they're holding hands. I could hear them. Yeah. I could hear them say they're holding hands. I definitely heard that. <laughs> Guys, can we ask you a ten-second question? That's all it is. Okay, we were holding hands walking down the road, and I think it was yourself, sir, and you said, you said, uh, okay, I, I just want to know why is that? Because I don't agree. We ain't got time to go fact. into that right now. Just give us ten seconds no, of your time, me. sir. Say what? No, no, that's not, you're entitled to your own opinion, but why did you say uh? Because I thought it was disgusting. Why did you think it was disgusting? Because it's disgusting. Well, ask a question. Doesn't agree, obviously, with homosexuality. Yeah. He's got a stigma. He's a teenage boy. You know what I mean? Do you agree with it? You saw us walking not, down the road I'm as not, well. I'm not against it, but I don't like it in my face. To be honest, it does make me feel a little bit embarrassed. If you two were to embrace in a kiss, well, I would feel a little bit awkward. But that's about as far as it would go. I'm not like I wouldn't be like, oh, oh my god, I've never had anything to do with you because you're gay. You know what I mean? I'm not narrow-minded in that way. We were just holding yeah, okay. hands. How did that make you feel as, as you walked past us? No, I was just like, oh, look at them two guys holding hands. Because, especially in Luton as well, you don't see that. Yeah. You wouldn't see but that. you weren't so keen. You thought it was disgusting. <laughs> Why in saying that, you've actually, you've actually got your hands down your trousers right now. I'd, I'd say that was more disgusting, wouldn't you? And that's up to you. That's up to you. Would you hold my hand now? No. 
I mean, I wouldn't particularly after it's been down there, but I'm just saying. No, we're not holding hands. What, what's wrong with just two people just showing that they love each other? I just think it's wrong for two men. Yeah. All right. I think it's disgusting, in my opinion. I don't know, and what can you draw from this, really? It's ten minutes, uh, and it certainly felt uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, whereas I know if you'd been a girl, I'd be holding your hand, yeah. there would have been nothing. I mean, what concerns me, I would say the most, is, is probably the fact that he was a, a young lad. Now, yeah. if that had been somebody older who was trying to change their opinions over the years, I could probably get my head around that. But that's a young yeah. lad. Um, that's the future. And quite clearly, he found it disgusting. It was a young lad who wouldn't let go of his... Um, his thing, he had his, both, when he was talking to us, he had both his hands down his trousers. <laughs> so uh, you can read a lot from the body language, but um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm surprised and disappointed. In recent years, Squarespace has established itself as the go-to platform for anyone looking to create a professional and highly functional website or online portfolio because they've come at the industry from a completely different angle. While others focused on functionality and ended up with platforms that look like you need to be an engineer just to work it, Squarespace started with a focus on design and then built all of their functionality within that context. So the result is a platform with all the functionality you could want or need that's intuitive to use and it looks like it's been designed by an artist. Whether you're just looking to display your work or build a store to sell digital or physical goods or anything in between, Squarespace will have you covered and they'll do it in style. You can check it out for yourself with a 14-day free trial, no credit card necessary. Then when you're ready to make the move permanent, be sure to use the special offer code LEFT at checkout. That's just L-E-F-T, which gets you 10% off your purchase. And that code also lets them know that you're supporting this show at the same time. Yesterday's Supreme Court decided that they would not take a case where uh, lower court decisions were being appealed on the issue of gay marriage. Now, the decisions in the lower court were that gay marriage should be legal in five states, but it wound up affecting 11 states overall. Now, gay marriage, because of that lack of action by the Supreme Court and the decisions by the lower courts, is legal in 30 states plus the District of Columbia. Now, in the old days, Republicans would have been livid about this, right? Oh, my God, they ruined the sanctity of marriage. The sons of bitches on the Supreme Court, activists, judges, et cetera, even though five of them are massively conservative, right? And part of the reason they might not have taken the case is because they didn't want to lose the case. But uh, we still have the Ted Cruz of the world, and he is outraged. He says he's going to do a constitutional amendment to make sure that we hate gay people and uh, make sure that they have different rights than all other Americans. I'm paraphrasing on the hate, but the rest of it is pretty much exactly uh, what he said. But look, I'll give you a direct quote on what he said about the decision. He said, the Supreme Court's decision to let rulings by lower court judges stand that redefine marriage is both tragic and indefensible. To give gay people the same right to marry as straight people. Indefensible. Okay. So, what's interesting, though, is not Ted Cruz's reaction. It's the reaction of the other Republicans. Now, Ted Cruz might run for president, although he was born in Canada, but all right, leave that aside. Uh, but so might Scott Walker. He's in a re-election effort right now in Wisconsin. When asked about the decision, he said, quote, for us, it's 
over in Wisconsin. He says he accepts the decision and has moved on. Wow. Now, you don't see surrender like that from the Republicans on a regular issue. So, obviously, the tide has turned here. But let me give you more quotes, and then I'll tell you why the tide has turned. Uh, he goes on to say, Scott Walker does, To me, I'd rather be t- talking in the future now more about our jobs uh, plan and our plan for the future of the state. I think that's what matters to the kids. It's not this issue. Now, in the past, they would say the exact opposite. What matters most to the kids and the family is the sanctity of our marriage. If we don't have that, what do we have, right? Now, all of a sudden, no, 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 we don't look backwards, we look forward. All right, Governor Chris Christie says, uh, when asked about the decision, quote, I haven't had a chance to read it. Profiles encourage, large profiles encourage. That's not right. Okay, so that's basically a way of saying, whoever wants to stay, 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 whoever wants to run, 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 I am Audi 5000. I got no interest in answering that question. Then we go to Mike Pence, Governor of Iowa, he says, I'm sorry, Indiana. He says, people are free to disagree with court decisions, but we are not free to disobey them. In other words, oh, I mean, I disagree, but I mean, you got to follow the law. It's the law. The law is the law. It, how often have the Republicans said that in the past? Normally what they say is, we're going to fight this. We're going to take it to the Supreme Court. We're going to go above the Supreme Court. We're going to go to the biblical court. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're this. We'll not say No, they're like, oh, they ruled that way? I didn't read that, but uh, okay, if you say so, I guess that's the law. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, now we go to Bobby Jindal. Every one of these guys thinks that they're going to run for president. Okay, Bobby Jindal says, I continue to believe in traditional marriage, but the ball's certainly in the court's court. Ah, what can I do, man? Oh, so, I mean, if it was up to me, right? But I guess it's not up to me. Let's move on. Now, uh, it appears that Ted Cruz, when he went in with a whole bunch of bluster, like, hey, guys, let's go get him. Let's see defense of this tragic, right? Hey, hey. Where did everybody go? <laughs> okay. Whoever wants to stay, stay, stay. Whoever wants to run, run, run. Now, look, uh, all is not lost. There's still a lot of people at the state level um, who are diehard traditional conservatives, and they back people like Ted Cruz. For example, Steve Scheffler in the very important state of Iowa, the national committeeman, says, if you're a candidate for president who refuses to oppose homosexual marriage, I don't see how you get elected. You're going to get clobbered. Well, not necessarily the case. Caton Dawson, uh, former GOP chairman in South Carolina, says, nah, quote, we got bigger fish to fry. They're saying that in South Carolina. Okay. Now, why are they saying that? Look, two reasons. One is they see the polls, and now a majority of Americans are in favor of gay marriage. So it's no longer the winning issue that it used to be. In 2004, George Bush had all the different states that they controlled with Republican governors, put it on the ballots to say, we're going to outlaw gay marriage. That drove people to the polls. Now you drive people to the polls and they vote against you on this issue. So it's not as, the fear-mongering and, and hate doesn't sell as well today as it did back in 2004, which is great news. But there's also a second reason why. A lot of the Republican donors are also gay or have gay family members, including a lot of their Wall Street donors. So they don't want to lose the money, Lebowski. And if there's one thing the Republican Party cares about, it's the money. And this is why we've been winning on this issue, partly because we are right and the arc of uh, history bends towards justice, and partly because we've convinced the country, and partly because we have more money than they do, and the Republicans know it, and a lot of their donors also tell them, hey, you better act right here, okay? Now, you know which way the party's officially going, 
when you listen to the party chairman, Ryan Priebus. Watch. Well, I mean, we've, we've been pretty consistent and clear. We believe that marriage should be between one man and one woman. I'm not running from that position. That's our position on it, and, and it's still the position today. And So is your guidance, would you counsel Republican candidates to run on this issue this fall? Why not make it a bigger issue right now if that's what you believe? Uh, well, for, well, because, I mean, for, for the fall, I think this is about the economy. It's about Obamacare. It's about what plans Republicans are going to put forward to get our spending under control and do something in Washington. And it's about governor's races and about how to get state budgets under control and get people back to work. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's, 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 it's a top-tier uh, issue for the midterms. All of a sudden, no longer a top-tier issue. Why? money we've lost on the american people and they realize it look but remember among their primary voters those guys the polling shows are still very much against gay marriage so if it was just the polling that wouldn't do it because they gotta win in the primaries first before they go to the general elections it's the polls in the general elections combined with the money they don't want to piss off their donors that's why the jury's in. Supreme Court might not have been in this case. They punted for the moment being. But the jury's in for the Republicans. It's time to run. There's a defense that's sometimes used to get a more lenient sentence for uh, a criminal after assaults and murders called the gay panic defense. And this is the claim that the perpetrator of the violence panicked into committing a violent crime because of an unwanted sexual advance or perceived sexual advance from a gay person, typically to a person who is heterosexual and was panicked by that advance. And more recently, this has also been used to justify crimes against transgender people after discovering their gender identity, that the individual panicked after learning that they may have been uh, speaking with or maybe close to engaging in some kind of sexual activity with someone they believe to be of a different gender than they uh, were physically. And the governor of California has just signed a law that outlaws the use of this so-called gay panic defense, gay panic uh, explanation or, or exculpation. And this makes California the first state in the United States to specifically outlaw it. And this has appeared in, a, in courts in, uh, in, during defense proceedings in about one-third of U.S. states. So it is certainly more prevalent than some people believe. It still exists in varying forms around the world. And in 2009, a man was actually acquitted of a double murder in Spain after he claimed that he burned down the home of an engage, engaged gay couple due to, quote, an unbearable fear, apparently that they were going to try to hit on him or convert him to being gay or something like that. And, of course, the best-known defense 
that used the uh, gay panic explanation was that involving the murder of U.S. student Matthew Shepard, who was killed in October of 1998 on the outskirts of Laramie, Wyoming, uh, by two men he had met in a bar. Local residents Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson, both 21 at the time, were charged with his murder, and they told the prosecution, listen, we suffered a moment of insanity because Matthew Shepard allegedly made sexual advances against them. This is such a ridiculous defense, Lewis, and all states should take this precedent from California and pass similar laws. Can you imagine the same thing except heteropanic, right? If a gay man murdered a woman who made an advance on him based on the false pretense that she didn't realize she was hitting on a gay guy, nobody would accept that as a defense. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. It's a defense that is just rooted in homophobia. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and it would be no different than, I would assume this happened uh, a while ago, that, I mean, if you were black and, uh, you know, you approached someone, they, they turned around and, and beat you up, the judge might be a little more lenient because they thought, hey, wait, there's a dangerous black person coming to get, coming after you, you know. Uh, it was black panic. It seems like the exact same type of retrograde, uh, ridiculous thinking that is based in homophobia, as Lewis says. California absolutely doing the right thing. The gay panic defense. Give me a break, ladies and gentlemen. What, are, what, is, what is happening here? Uh, and this is not the only country in which this happens. So this is not just an American issue at all. September like a no sad song. You heard it all before. Well, deal is gone, but I'm settling the score. All right, so if you live in Kansas and you are a gay, lesbian, or transgender, since 2007, employees have been banned from discriminating against you based on sexual orientation and gender identity. So imagine you're an LGBT person. And this this order comes out, and so you think, okay, fine, it's finally safe for me to come out at work. Even though it might make some people uncomfortable, I can do this because I can't be fired for it. It's an executive order. That executive order was signed in 2007 by then-Governor Kathleen Sebelius, who went on to become the uh, the, health, the Secretary of Health and Human Services. She's the one who's who helped launch all the Obamacare stuff and is being sued for all the contraception mandate stuff. And anyway, bygones. So Sam Brownback who is now the governor, he's been the governor of Kansas for a while, but he's a Republican governor of Kansas. He just signed an executive order that rescinds all of those discrimination protections for state employees based on sexual orientation and gender identity. So if you worked in the state in state government and you came out back in 2007 thinking, oh, I'm sitting pretty because they can't discriminate against me, here you are nine years later, and now you might be targeted. Now you could be you could be fired because the people that you work with, your boss doesn't like the fact that you are trans or or gay or lesbian or bi or whatever. It's like the it's one of the cruelest things I've heard in a while. What is the what? How does that even happen? How are you able to rescind the checks and and, and things and safeguards for other people's safety based on their sexual orientation? 
Well, How because it, Kansas is a relatively conservative state, I imagine back in 2007 they tried to actually, you know, they wanted to have some legislation that would protect these state employees, but it w- wasn't able to pass. This is, I don't know that that's the case, but I am imagining that's the case. So instead of waiting for legislation, Kathleen Sebelius just signed an executive order, similarly to the way President Obama signed an executive order preventing the deportation of some uh, uh, of some of the uh, uh, undocumented people who are who are living in this country now. But executive orders are just that. They're just they're particular to that particular governor and they can be rescinded at any time but the the one would think that when when it comes to 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 granting protections to people to ensure that they're not harassed or fired or discriminated against based on sexual orientation and gender identity one would think that you just keep those protections in place because how is it hurting you how is it hurting you to not be able to discriminate against people that is so cruel it's, it's really mean. I mean, it's just. And it's, it's, it's part of the discussion. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the Kanye West thing, kind of like a little thing where people are really chomping at the bit for a reason to have to discriminate. Like it's yeah. part of their right as an individual is to, is to subjugate someone somewhere because that's, that's part, it's an inalienable right as an American to make someone else feel like less of a human so you can feel like more of one. So it just it just goes down the line. I mean, apparently, apparently, at some point or the other, you gay people need to be put in your place. I guess. Yeah. I'm assuming that's the rationale. This over with irrational fear of what big gay is Elon. You called me making fun of. We were talking about a few uh, episodes ago. I, I don't. Yeah, big gay and big trans. I guess are I, coming to try and make you gay and trans. I don't. I don't understand this sort of bigotry. Like I really don't. I mean, I get that some people think it's a biblical thing. You know, it's against the Bible, it's a sin or whatever. But I feel like Jesus was the kind of guy who wouldn't have wanted people to discriminate for any reason. So the fact that you are, fine, you don't have to be fine with someone being gay or lesbian or trans, but do you have to discriminate against That's them? That's what I don't understand. It's like you're literally, it's your right to not, to not only discriminate, but like just outright legislate against them. Right. There, I don't, I don't care if you ever, I, I don't care if you're racist. Just don't legislate. That's my big thing. You can, like I said, there are some people in some corners of, the, in, in some parts of this country where their only, their only exposure to black people are the Grammys and Will Smith movies. That's fine. <laughs> Listen, if you don't know anything about black people, given where you are in life, that's fine. So you can think that we're all terrifying or whatever. You become senator. You need to understand that you know nothing about us. So it's best to just remain immobile. On the topic, don't do anything against black yeah. people because of something, because if you don't, didn't particularly like Will Smith's last movie. And I, I never, I, I don't. <sighs> yep. Humans are horrendous, just awful creatures. Humans are bad. Yeah, they're not, not good. good. I, I don't that, like them. That's one of the things about humanity that gets me. That's the thing that always makes me hate humanity is the incredible energy with which we, we with we, with which we put Discrimination, our right to discriminate other humans is what bugs me. We really fight for it. But this, but those kids cheated! But that guy is a celebrity! We should be able to abuse them verbally. Those kids cheated. And that woman's gay! (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't, I've no, I don't understand it. And there are some states that, are, like Wyoming, for example, Republican-controlled Wyoming, just today passed legislation that would include sexual orientation and gender identity in its anti-discrimination laws, which is fantastic. What's not so fantastic is that they included a religious exemption from those rules. So if your religion 
says, oh, I'm allowed to discriminate or says that gay people are bad, then you're still allowed to discriminate against them. What religion, what religion are you adhering to that set, that one of its tenets is we can discriminate against people? Cause I'm calling <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> uh, people say God, people say their God says a lot of stuff about people they don't like. It's, it allows, I mean, it allows, it allows you for unquestioned, unquestioned, uh, uh, discrimination. Like God said it. Where? He said it. Where? I mean, where? Point, show me where. He just said it and that's all. And you're, 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 you're anti-religion, so go away. Uh, yeah, you're being, a, you're oppressing me because of my religious, uh, my religious beliefs, no? Uh, I'm oppressing you because you're an asshole. Yes, you're an A-S-S-H-O-L-E. And don't you try to blame it on me. You deserve all the credit. Arkansas gave us Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton by way of Chicago. Also gave us Walmart, which destroyed a lot of communities and provides a lot of people with uh, sub-poverty level wage jobs. It also gave us Mike fucking Huckabee, who is waging jihad against Beyonce in an effort to reach out to voters of color and young people in his soon-to-be-laughable footnoted effort to secure the Republican nomination in 2016. Arkansas right now... This weekend, actually, let's pause for a second here. This weekend in Arkansas, lots of people poured into movie theaters to see Fifty Shades of Grey. Arkansas was number two in the country for pre-sale tickets for Fifty Shades of Grey, which is, of course, the movie about a young woman, uh, a student, having sex with a billionaire, big power differential there, uh, kinky sex, sadomasochistic sex, and premarital kinky sadomasochistic sex, they even sign up slave contract that has a butt plug clause, as all good contracts should. I think people should just generally start slipping butt plug clauses into, I don't know, home sale contracts and home renovation contracts and employment contracts. Just work it in, the butt plug clause, to see if they're paying attention. You know what I mean? You want to make sure that people are reading the contract before they sign it. Put in a clause that allows you to shove a butt plug in them at will uh, and see if they think to strike it, see if their lawyers even notice it. Anyway, lots of people in Arkansas poured into theaters this weekend to enjoy all of this kinky, premarital, heterosexual sex, and more power to them. There's been a lot of writing about how awful Fifty Shades of Grey is, and now we're getting the counterfactuals. And Amanda Hess at Slate, whose work I cite often, who's really smart, you should be reading her, really liked the movie and wrote a defense of it. It's up at Slate right now. You might want to go check that out. But anyway, while this is happening, while straight people in Arkansas are pouring into movie theaters, straight people in the Bible Belt that elected Mike Huckabee, an ordained Baptist batshit minister, to be governor, while they're pouring into theaters to watch the sadomasochistic straight love story, the Arkansas State Senate and State House passed a bill that would make it legal to discriminate against LGBT people in Arkansas Make it easier, even easier. It's already legal to fire someone in Arkansas, where you can now marry if you're a same-sex couple, and then the next morning be fired legally. Your your right to marry is secured. Your right to a job or to not be discriminated against unfairly in your workplace based on your sexual orientation or gender identity, that is not secured 
And the Arkansas State Legislature is working to make that right even less secure than it already is by passing a law that makes it illegal for any municipality or county or city to have its own local LGBT civil rights ordinance. It's called SB202, and it is part of the backlash that we're seeing. In Kansas, Governor Brownback rescinded an executive order that provided workplace protections for state employees who were gay or trans or bi. Yank that back. It's been in place since 2007. It is now legal for state contractors and state employers, for state, for state officials to harass or fire people in their employment who are gay, lesbian, bi, or trans, thanks to Senator Brownback. And remember, Brownback means having unprotected anal intercourse without a condom. You're brownbacking, not barebacking, brownbacking. And in Florida, they're pushing a bill, a hateful Republican state legislator whose whose name I can't remember and I'm not even going to cite, is pushing a bill that would make it illegal for trans people basically to use the bathroom. And hilariously, he said that using the bathroom is a choice. Because it's all a choice. Anything a queer person does is a choice. Breathing, digesting food, your internal organs removing waste from your system and eliminating it, that's a choice when a queer person does it. Uh, It's no laughing matter, though. This bill would make trans people who are already subjected to appalling levels of violence, particularly trans women of color, even at greater danger. A trans person contemplating using a bathroom in Florida would have to think about whether they wanted to be assaulted using the bathroom, assigned to them at birth, their birth gender, what's on their birth certificate is the standard that they're supposed to use when they pick the bathroom, or going to prison for a year. A trans woman walking into a men's restroom is not going to be safe. A trans man walking into a women's restroom is not going to be welcomed and may be assaulted. This is the backlash, right? We are seeing backlash where they can do it, where they can get away with it. Shitty, shitty places like Arkansas, shitty, shitty places like Florida, shitty, shitty places like what's the matter with Kansas, places like that. It may seem a little hopeless now. It may seem like we can't change things in Kansas or Florida or Arkansas now, but we have to fight the fight even if there are losses along the way. We laid the groundwork for future marriage equality victories by fighting the fight even when we knew in places like North Carolina or Wisconsin that it was kind of hopeless. We were going to lose at the ballot box. We still made the argument. We still had the fight, and those fights laid the groundwork again for future victories. So we are all pushing back in Florida against this idiotic, trans bathroom bill that is going to get trans people killed. We are pushing back in Kansas. John Stewart on his show cited the Santorum campaign and urged people to redefine brownback, which has already been redefined. It's anal sex without a condom, brownbacking, not barebacking, brownbacking. And we are going to push back in Arkansas. I haven't asked you to get on the phone for a while. I'm going to ask you to get on the phone today or jump on your email. There's a Facebook page, Arkansans Say No to Discrimination, Veto SB202, where they're asking you to get in touch with Asa Hutchinson, Arkansas's governor, and ask him to veto SB202. Particularly valuable if you live in Arkansas, and you can hear the sound of my voice, for you to take a moment and send the email and make the phone call. But if you have any connection to Arkansas, if you used to live in Arkansas, if you've ever thought about vacationing in Arkansas, even if you've never thought about vacationing in Arkansas, you might want to say that you've thought about it and now you have ruled it out. Let them know you're paying attention and let them know there'll be consequences not just for LGBT people who live in Arkansas, but for Arkansas if they discriminate against their LGBT citizens. If they decide to declare themselves a province of Putin's Russia, that will be noted and there will be consequences. The phone number to call 
501-682-2345. Leave a message for Governor H. Hutchinson saying veto SB202, and you can go to governor.arkansas.gov slash contact hyphen info to send an email. Let's not abandon our LGBT brothers and sisters who happen to live in the Bible Belt or other shitty parts of the country. Let's let them know that we are on their side and we are paying attention and what happens to them there matters to us here. And by us here, I mean those of us who live in blue states. we got to look out for our friends, our brothers, our sisters who are right now in the red states. Red states that they are, by staying helping to turn blue and helping to bring to their senses. Once again, that number, 501-682-2345, and the website, governor.arkansas.gov slash contact hyphen info. Here at Best of the Left, we know that it's not enough just to stay informed. You need to get active if you actually want to change the world for the better. That's why we promote great activism opportunities every chance we get. Also, I can only reach so many people on my own, but with your help, we can extend that reach. The episode show notes are most likely available on the device you're using to listen right now, and if they're not, you can see them on the website. Simply click the title of any segment you want to share and then easily post it to your social networks or send it directly to friends. You joining these actions and helping amplify the show to get even more people involved is critical to our mission to change the world for the better. Get started right now in the show notes on the device you're using or visit the website from any device at bestoftheleft.com. You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, the march to full marriage equality, continues with Marriage Equality USA. 37 states plus the District of Columbia currently have full marriage equality on the books. With only 13 states and five U.S. territories to go, the cementing of this particular right for LGBTQ people seems inevitable. As discussed previously on this podcast and in LGBTQ activist writing and campaigning, marriage is clearly not the only right we should be concerned about. But the goal is well within reach, so how about we push hard to get all the way there while building resources and momentum for battles on unemployment, housing, and healthcare discrimination protections. MarriageEquality.org is the nation's oldest nonprofit dedicated to building equality for the LGBTQ community through civil marriage equality at the state and federal level. Their What's Happening Now tab is a comprehensive aggregation of wins and setbacks around the country. They link to local and state-level actions as well as post videos and other shareable content to spread around your networks. MarriageEquality.org also tracks anti-equality groups like the National Organization for Marriage and politicians like Mike Huckabee and the Arkansas legislators who just sent a bill to the governor's desk that would build the rights to discriminate against LGBTQ people into state law. Tracking state-level legislation has become increasingly important. As the finish line approaches on full marriage equality in America, right-wing groups and legislators are digging in their heels and even repealing protections against discrimination. Basically, they're using all the press and celebrations 
decision over marriage to attempt a quiet undermining of the dozens of other rights not yet afforded to LGBTQ people, just as Brownback is doing in Kansas, as we've just heard. Help MarriageEquality.org and the local group Equality Kansas raise awareness and fight back by joining their action to let Governor Brownback know how you feel. You can call the Kansas State Capitol at 877-579-6757 and post a message for him on Facebook at facebook.com slash GovSamBrownback or on Twitter at GovSamBrownback. Also, keep an eye on your state. It is possible to celebrate the realization of one right while looking ahead to continue the fight beyond this victory. The segment notes include all the links to this information as well as additional resources. And as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the Activism tab at bestoftheleft.com. If full equality for LGBTQ people matters to you, be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about marriageequality.org and their ongoing work via social media so that others in your network can get involved too. Can you stand up and be counted as a body in a crowd? Put your name on a petition with your signature so proud Can you raise your voice so loud as you stand with head on bowed Weather beating on your brow, demanding answers here and now Cause that's how you make a difference in this fickle world of change This summer I was back in Ohio for a family wedding. And when I was there, there was a meet and greet with Anna and Elsa from Frozen. Now, not the Anna and Elsa from Frozen, as this was not a Disney-sanctioned event. These two entrepreneurs had a business of running princess parties. Your kid turning five, they'll come sing some songs, sprinkle some fairy dust. It's great. And they were not about to miss out on the opportunity that was the phenomenon that was frozen. So they get hired by a local toy store. Kids come in on a Saturday morning, buy some Disney swag, get the picture taken with the princesses, call it a day. It's like Santa Claus without the seasonal restrictions. (laughs) And my three-and-a-half-year-old niece, Samantha, was in the thick of it. She could care less that these two women were signing posters and coloring books as Snow Queen and Princess Anna with one N to avoid copyright lawsuits. (laughs) According to my niece and the 200 plus kids in the parking lot that day, this was the Anna and Elsa from Frozen. So let me paint the picture. It is a blazing hot Saturday morning in August in Ohio. We get there at 10 o'clock, the scheduled start time, and we are handed number 59. By 11 o'clock, they had called numbers 21 through 25. This was going to be a while. And there is no amount of free face painting or temporary tattoos that could prevent the meltdowns that were occurring outside of this store. (laughs) So by 1230, we get called. 56 to 63, please. And as we walk in, it is a scene I can only describe to you as saying it looked like Norway threw up. There were cardboard cutout snowflakes covering the floor, glitter on every flat surface, and icicles all over the walls. And as we stood in line in an attempt to give my niece a better vantage point than the backside of the mother of number 58, I put her up on my shoulders, and she was instantly riveted by the sight of the princesses. 
And as we moved forward, her excitement only grew. And as we finally got to the front of the line and number 58 unfurled her poster to be signed by the princesses, I could literally feel the excitement running through her body. And let's be honest, at that point, I was pretty excited too. I mean, the Scandinavian decadence was mesmerizing. So we get to the front of the line and the haggard clerk turns to my niece and says, Hi, honey, you're next. Do you want to get down or are you going to stay on your dad's shoulders for the picture? And I was, for lack of a better word, frozen. It's amazing that in an unexpected instant, we are faced with the question, who am I? Am I an aunt or am I an advocate? Millions of people have seen my video about how to have a hard conversation, and there one was right in front of me. At the same time, there's nothing more important to me than the kids in my life. So I found myself in a situation that we so often find ourselves in, torn between two things, two impossible choices. Would I be an advocate? Would I take my niece off my shoulders and turn to the clerk and explain to her that I was in fact her aunt, not her father, and that she should be more careful and not jump to gender conclusions based on haircuts and shoulder rides? (laughs) And while doing that, miss out on what was to this point the greatest moment of my niece's life? Or would I be an aunt? Would I brush off that comment? Take a million pictures and not be distracted for an instant from the pure joy of that moment. And by doing that, walk out with the shame that comes up for not standing up for myself, especially in front of my niece. Who was I? Which one was more important? Which role was more worth it? Was I an aunt or was I an advocate? And I had a split second to decide. We are taught right now that we are living in a world of constant and increasing polarity. It's so black and white, so us and them, so right and wrong. There is no middle, there is no gray, just polarity. Polarity is a state in which two ideas or opinions are completely opposite from each other. Diametrical opposition. Which side are you on? Are you unequivocally and without question, anti-war, pro-choice, anti-death penalty, pro-gun regulation, proponent of open borders, and pro-union? Or are you absolutely and uncompromisingly pro-war, pro-life, pro-death penalty, a believer that the Second Amendment is absolute, anti-immigrant, and pro-business? It's all or none. You're with us or against us. That is polarity. Now, the problem with polarity and absolutes is that it eliminates the individuality of our human experience. And that makes it contradictory to our human nature. But if we're pulled in these two directions, but it's not really where we exist, polarity is not our actual reality, where do we go from there? What's at the other end of that spectrum? And I don't think it's some unattainable, harmonious utopia. I think the opposite of polarity is duality. Now, duality is a state of having two parts, but not in diametrical opposition in simultaneous existence. Don't think it's possible? Here are the people I know. I knew Catholics who were pro-choice and feminists who wear hijabs and veterans who are anti-war and NRA members who think I should be able to get married. Those are the people I know. Those are my friends and family. That is the majority of our society. That is you. That is me.
duality is the ability to hold both things. But the question is, can we own our duality? Can we have the courage to hold both things? So I work at a restaurant in town um, and became really good friends with the busser. I was a server and we had um, a great relationship. We had a really great time together. Her um, Spanish was great because she was from Mexico. (laughs) That line actually went the other way. Her English was limited, but significantly better than my Spanish. Uh, But we were united by our similarities, not separated by our differences. And we were close, even though we came from two very different worlds. She was from Mexico. She left her family behind so she could come here and afford them a better life back home. She was devout, conservative Catholic, a believer in traditional family values, stereotypical roles of men and women. And I was, well, me. (laughs) But the things that bonded us were when she asked about my girlfriend or she shared pictures that she had from her family back home. Those were the things that brought us together. So one day we were in the back, scarfing down food as quickly as we could, gathered around a small table during a very rare lull. And a new guy from the kitchen came over, who happened to be her cousin, and sat down with all the bravado and machismo that his 20-year-old body could hold. (laughs) And he said to her, Ash tiene un novio. And she said, no, tiene un novia. And he said, Unanovia. And she set down her fork and locked eyes with him and said, Si, Unanovia, es todo. And his smug smile quickly dropped to one of maternal respect, grabbed his plate, walked off, went back to work. She never made eye contact with me. She left, did the same thing. It was a 10-second conversation, such a short interaction. And on paper, she had so much more in common with him. Language, culture, history, family. Her community was her lifeline here. But her moral compass trumped all of that. And a little bit later, they were joking around in the kitchen in Spanish that had nothing to do with me. And that is duality. She didn't have to choose some PC stance on gayness over her heritage. She didn't have to choose her family over our friendship. It wasn't Jesus or Ash. her individual morality was so strongly rooted that she had the courage to hold both things. Our moral integrity is our responsibility and we must be prepared to defend it even when it's not convenient. That's what it means to be an ally. And if you're going to be an ally, you have to be an active ally. Ask questions. Act when you hear something inappropriate. Actually engage. I had a family friend who for years used to call my girlfriend my lover. (laughs) Really? Lover. So overly sexual. So 70s gay porn. (laughs) But she was trying and she asked. And she could have called her my friend or my friend or my special friend. Or even worse, just not asked at all. Believe me, we would rather have you ask. I would rather have her say, lover, 
then say nothing at all. People often say to me, well, Ash, I don't care. I don't, I don't see race or religion or sexuality. It just, it doesn't matter to me. I don't see it. But I think that the opposite of homophobia and racism and xenophobia is not love. It's apathy. If you don't see my gayness, then you don't see me. If it doesn't matter to you who I sleep with, then you cannot imagine what it feels like when I walk down the street late at night holding her hand and approach a group of people and have to make the decision if I should hang on to it or if I should drop it when all I want to do is squeeze it tighter. And the small victory I feel when I make it by and don't have to let go. And the incredible cowardice and disappointment I feel when I drop it. If you do not see that struggle that is unique to my human experience because I am gay, then you don't see me. If you are going to be an ally, I need you to see me. As individuals, as allies, as humans, we need to be able to hold both things, both the good and the bad, the easy and the hard. You don't learn how to hold two things just from the fluff. You learn it from the grit. And what if duality is just the first step? What if through compassion and empathy and human interaction, we are able to learn to hold two things? And if we can hold two things, we can hold four. And if we can hold four, we can hold eight. And if we can hold eight, we can hold hundreds. We are complex individuals, swirls of contradictions. You are all holding so many things right now. What can you do to hold just a few more? So, back to Toledo, Ohio, I'm at the front of the line, knees on my shoulders, the frazzled clerk calls me dad. Have you ever been mistaken for the wrong gender? And not even that. Have you ever been called something you are not? Here's what it feels like for me. I am instantly an internal storm of contrasting emotions. I break out into a sweat that is a combination of rage and humiliation. I feel like the entire store is staring at me and I simultaneously feel invisible. I want to explode in a tirade of fury and I want to crawl under a rock and top all of that off with the frustration that I am wearing an out-of-characteristic, tight-fitting, purple t-shirt so this whole store can see my boobs to make sure this exact same thing doesn't happen. (laughs) But despite my best efforts to be seen as the gender I am, it still happens. And I hope with every ounce of my body that no one here heard, not my sister, not my girlfriend, and certainly not my niece. I'm accustomed to this familiar hurt, but I will do whatever I need to do to protect the people I love from it. But then I take my niece off my shoulders and she runs to Elsa and Anna, the thing she's been waiting so long for. And all that stuff goes away. All that matters is the smile on her face. And as the 30 seconds we waited two and a half hours for comes to a close, (laughs) we gather up our things and I lock eyes with the clerk again. And she gives me an apologetic smile and mouths. And her humanity, her willingness to admit her mistake, disarms me immediately. And I give her a, it's okay, it happens, but thanks. And I realize in that moment that I don't have to be 
either an aunt or an advocate. I can be both. I can live in duality and I can hold two things. And if I can hold two things in that environment, I can hold so many more things. And as my girlfriend and my niece hold hands and skip out the front of the door, I turn to my sister and say, was it worth it? And she said, are you kidding me? Did you see the look on her face? This was the greatest day of her life. (laughs) It was worth the two and a half hours in the heat. It was worth the overpriced coloring book that we already had a copy of. (laughs) It was even worth you getting called dad. And for the first time ever in my life, it actually was. Hi, my name is Clara. I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York. And I just wanted to comment, I've been a vegetarian for about 20 years now. I've been a vegetarian as a teenager. I'm in my early 30s now. And one of the things that is really interesting to me is just how emotional people become when this gets brought up, when this conversation gets brought up. Um, In my own life, I have been yelled at, cursed at. I, at one point, had somebody actually tell me I was going to go to hell because I did not eat meat. And I am... I'm a very polite person. Um, I, I don't tend to politically evangelize, particularly not when I'm given a dinner invitation. You know, I, I've, been, I've also had people tell me very condescendingly, "Oh, that I'm one of the nice ones." And it's just, it's, 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 it's I had, really interesting to me. I've had a lot of time to think about why the people act like this, and I think that one of the reasons is is that. Eating and making food is such an intimate act. It is um, an intimate cultural act. It is an intimate act of preference, and it's also I mean, it's a very physically intimate act. You're, you know, you're, you're putting things inside your body, and so that tends to get people. But also, um, since it is such an intimate act, and what we're talking about when you're talking about food choices is you're talking about something political is you enter into this very scary territory where you have to confront that both that that the intimate is can be political and that the political can also be intimate, which means that you have to recognize that your own intimate actions are possibly affected by the world around you, are affected um, in much you know bigger ways than you might ordinarily think about, but also that your political actions, I'm sorry, your intimate actions have actually affects on the world and what that might mean for our senses of responsibility, I, I think is kind of terrifying. I think that there is a, that vegetarianism gets at a much deeper psychological and political um, moment and issue than just the, you know, question of do you eat meat or do you not eat meat, which makes it a, such a tricky or difficult conversation to have, even if you're just having a friendly conversation about, oh, why are you a vegetarian? Thanks very much. I hope this was nice and short. Love the show. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hi, Jay. This is Kelly from California calling in regards to animal consumption and its environmental impacts. I have been thinking about this, and my first thoughts were filled with slight frustration and defensiveness in my point of view. 
However, I went back to review the calls that have been made, and I think both sides have valid explanations as far as being environmentally concerned goes. I consider myself a person who cares about the planet, and I make an effort to reduce my carbon footprint and make others aware. However, the key word here is reduce. It is nearly impossible to live as part of this environmentally unfriendly system and be completely carbon footprintless. For example, I ride my bike to school every day. It is a 15 to 20 minute bike ride, so it's reasonable for me to ride my bike. However, on the weekends, I enjoy driving down to the beach, which is 30 to 40 minutes away, or road trips to other places. I don't take two to five minute showers either, but I have reduced my time from 20 minutes to 10 minutes and, you know, use one of those water efficient shower heads, which right now is reasonable for me. Now, when it comes to our carbon footprint, as far as animal, animal agriculture is concerned, I am a vegan and that is reasonable and very doable for me. However, I do realize that this is a very daunting concept for a majority of people. I also realize that I'm vegan, not just for the environment, but for other reasons that are very close to my heart. And I realize that not everyone sees things the way that I do. So being vegan for purely environmental purposes might not seem reasonable or doable for some people, just like I don't take two to five minute showers or ride my bike everywhere. However, I continuously work on, you know, whatever I can do to uh, decrease my carbon footprint. And I think, you know, others should continuously work on that well. And I think if you're a true environmentalist and care about the planet, you should take the same approach to meat consumption. Perhaps at this moment, you find it unreasonable to completely cut animal products out of your diet or you enjoy meat just like I enjoy driving to the beach. Well, you don't have to go vegan, however, if you care about your planet and you want to take action, you should be making some sort of effort to reduce your carbon footprint through meat consumption. Perhaps for you, this means meatless Mondays or replacing one meal a day with a vegan option instead of meat and dairy. Uh, this approach actually has a word attached to it called reducitarian, and I strongly suggest um, one looking it up as well as looking at vegetarian and vegan options. So I guess I'll end with this. As much as I would love everyone to go vegan, as much as I think the world would be a better place if everyone did, I realize this is a very romantic ideal. However, being a reducitarian and reducing whatever animal consumption that you can is doable and reasonable for everyone, no matter what background you are from. So I guess just do whatever you can, but always challenge yourself and ask if you can do more and ask if you can be better. So thank you, Jay, for listening to my message and keep up the great work. Hi, Jay. This is Raven from Louisville, Kentucky, and I just listened to the anti-vaccination podcast, or not the anti-vaccination podcast, but the vaccination podcast. And I'm coming from a unique perspective here. I am a nurse, and I also grew up with a younger brother who had autism. Um, I think these parents who refuse to vaccinate their children because they think that autism is a fate worse than death need to seriously 
to have their heads examined. Treatment for autism has come a long way. Now, there's not yet a cure for autism, but we found early intervention, the earlier that you can intervene when a child is diagnosed with autism, the better chances they have. And also, as a nurse and from a scientific perspective, what a lot of people don't understand is correlation does not necessarily mean causation. In other words, when a child gets their first MMR shot is usually about the time that you will notice the first delays with autism. The thing about it is, is just because they happen at the same time does not mean that one causes the other. And of course, you know, there has only been one study that has been retracted that the doctor, the main author on the study, actually lost his medical license and people are running around saying that, you know, you shouldn't get an MMR shot because it will give your child autism. Personally, I think these parents that are listening to Dr. Wakefield and the anti-vaxxers are irresponsible and it is my own personal belief that the only people who should ever be exempted from vaccination are people who legitimately, for medical reasons, cannot be vaccinated. People, especially children with cancers, immune disorders, all sorts of, and there's a bunch of medical problems and even allergies to, to some of the ingredients in the vaccine. These children are relying on herd immunity. These children are relying on you vaccinating your child so that their child does not get sick. As a nurse, I personally think it's child abuse not to vaccinate your child if your child has no medical reasons not to be vaccinated. The fact that people do not listen to science on this issue boggles my mind. And the fact that we have we have politicians running around, and especially a politician from my state, running around and spreading these lies about vaccination just baffles me. Vaccinations have saved millions and millions of lives. And, you know, we don't hear about children getting polio anymore. We don't hear about smallpox anymore because of vaccines. We've got measles and pertussis on the way back because people are not vaccinating their children. People seriously need to look at the actual science from reputable sources such as the CDC, such as the National Institutes of Health, and literally realize that vaccines save lives. They don't cause autism. And these anti-vaxxers that run around and scream that you should not get your child vaccinated because of autism is saying to someone like me who grew up with someone with autism in their family that uh, have your child having autism is a fate worse than death. And personally, I think that's, that's horrible, that's insensitive, and that's irresponsible. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Katie Klubusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. And I, I will actually admit 
that I sort of regret trying to have these two conversations at the same time. I, I should have known it was a predictable outcome that food choices and vaccinations are the two things that probably for the rest of the year, people won't want to talk about any other subject more than they want to talk about these two. And, uh, and trying to do them simultaneously is not probably the best uh, use of time. And, and just doesn't give room, uh, to each that it deserves and so on. And, you know, a, as I was sifting through a couple of dozen voicemails today and it was setting me back in my schedule a little bit, you know, Katie pointed out, well, it appears that the, the next bonus episode for members is, is basically making itself, which is true. So uh, keep the voicemails coming in on, you know, whatever topic you like. I will get as many of them onto the main show as possible, but, uh, you know, Pretty much all of the leftovers will end up going out to members for any of those who uh, actually want to dive in deep to everything that's being said. But for now, we'll just keep it going and see where it takes us. The number again, 202-999-3991. That's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash left. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway and outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained Stories and wonder what we're missing. We can't see past our sad stories and forget how to listen. We can't see past our sad stories and wonder what we're doing. We can't see past our sad stories.